We really think European butter from France is the best butter. And our friend, the expert baker and best-selling cookbook author David Leibovitz agrees. Check out our recent episode with David to find out how he cooks with quality butter. And for recipes, tips, and cooking advice, go to tasteeurope.com. I, was, I worked since like 7 a.m. and it was like 9, 30, 10. And Damon was like, hey, he was like, get, get out of here, go change and, and come back up here. I thought I was getting fired. And he, uh, I got changed. I was like, chef, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm just really tired. He goes, go sit, go sit at the bar. And he sent me like 10 courses. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Trig Brown is the chef and co-owner of Winsan and the co-author of a really great new cookbook, Winsan Presents a Taiwanese-American Cookbook. Now, Trig and I share many mutual friends in the food game, and it was really cool meeting him for the first time on the mic. We talked about his early cooking career in Charlottesville, Virginia, and working in New York City with the Calicchio crew at Kraft and Calicchio & Sons before opening his own Winsan to great acclaim. We talk about his time traveling through Taiwan and what makes a modern restaurant work. I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Trig Brown. Trig Brown, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Thanks for having me. So you're a third. I yeah, I am. I'm and you had a fourth. I, I had a fourth, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't want to do it Three to him, more. but I but I did it. No, nah, you did it. It's cool. <laughs> I was researching and I found your dad online. I was like, I assumed it was your dad because it's a cool name and pretty yeah. unique. And we were talking about Richmond. You you grew up outside Richmond. I did. I, well, I, I actually grew up inside Richmond. Oh, cool. And then I moved outside of Richmond in like, nice. in like sixth, seventh grade. Um, Let, let's shout out some restaurants in Richmond. I, I love ooh, that town. Uh, Edo Squid, yeah. Dinamo, oh, um, Sub Rosa Bakery, yes. uh, my, my, all my buddy uh, Lee uh, Gregory's places, the um, and Brittany Anderson's spots. Um, they're you know all just amazing. Uh, Celadora, Megan Lee Hopkins is just. I, I don't go to Richmond without getting wine from her yep. and and visiting with her. Uh, I did a pop up at her place recently. Um, so the cool. Yellow Umbrella. My my cousin actually has a has a fish market down there. Oh, nice. Which is like a grocery store. Such a great well. city. I, I'm glad you shouted out my my, my sister in law Maya Anitai's uh, restaurant Dinamo. So uh, thank yeah. you for that. I mean, it's just like yeah, uh, it's I, I love how they don't, you know, they they don't overdo the service there. Like you go and you get what they're offering yeah. and it's really romantic and it's understated and yeah. subtle. And, uh, I always feel full and happy yeah. and w I'm with family when I go. Yeah. So it's, it's like, a great place. Uh, Richmond, Virginia, definitely check it out. Okay. Let's get into a little bit of your, uh, history with cooking. Yeah. Uh, you came through craft and click and sons. Yeah. I'd love to hear about your time working there and, and kind of how that really got you in the you know, I would say not soigner. That's a weird word, but yeah, you, well, you learn some. You learn some moves. Yeah, I, well, you know, I don't want to take it back to Richmond, but I started cooking when I was fifteen, cool. washing dishes in in Richmond. When I and 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 that was where I really fell in love with it, and and I just kept doing it through mm -hmm. college. I I worked a lot in high school. That was kind of like my sport. Uh, you know, I was like a varsity cook. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Love and that. Uh, you, had the, you had the jacket too. It was white, <laughs> yeah. and it had a smaller letter than a big letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a just a hilarious escape from my regular, you know, yeah. supervised life, and <laughs> um, and I loved it. Um, That's know, awesome. I, it like heavily influenced me. So, uh, and, and 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 at UVA, 
I studied English um, and I went into school with a lot of credits. Um, so I, I didn't, I kind of like mailed it in in the yeah. academic department and just enjoyed reading and writing a lot. Um, but I worked a lot too. So I, and I worked at Orient Express Hotel, mm-hmm. um, Fawcett's, Keswick Estate, and, but mainly at the clubhouse. Uh, I, I worked on the line uh, for this guy, Pei Jin Chang. And he was, he's politically uh, Chinese, but his family immigrated to Taiwan and then the U.S. So um, that's kind of where I first like encountered, um, you know, uh, the, the political nuances of being from Taiwan. Interesting. Um, and so what was the what was the menu like there at that place um, that you were so, learning? So I worked for him at the clubhouse yeah. and, uh, you know, we like laugh about some of the menu items because, you know, when you're at a, when you're cooking at a clubhouse, it's like, it's, it's country club food. Yeah. You, you can only go, but so far, but, but pay like, he is so laser focused and clean and like the food that we we're putting yeah. out was really fun. And, and he was from, pays from LA. So mm-hmm. he like, if he wanted, you know, ethnic food or, you know, diverse food. He, he had to bake it, you know? I mean, there's a, Charlottesville is actually ironically very, very, diver, very mm-hmm. diverse, but you know, in terms of like what he was hungering for yeah. that he couldn't get in, in Charlottesville, that he could get in LA, he had to make that, those kind of things. So I, I felt like I got exposed to really fun food at, at this clubhouse, ironically. And, uh, and then he went to one of the coolest sushi restaurants in Charlottesville called Ten Sushi and mm-hmm. took that over. And, uh, you know, that's a corn capsule restaurant, uh, Red Light Management. He, like, founded Dave Matthews and manages fish and stuff. And yeah. he, so he kind of makes Charlottesville, like, a, a really cool food scene. I mean, when you want to ball out and you're, like, a Dave Matthews band-owned restaurant and it's sushi, <laughs> I'm sure it's going to bring some nice stuff in there. Yeah. And Charlottesville as a as a center for culture makes sense because of the university. Right, Damn. yeah. And, and, and it was it was really good experience to go. Um, and I, I did the back the back kitchen stuff, like, yeah. uh, the plated, like that, that's where I first kind of, uh, you know, country club food is one thing, but, uh, fine, fine dining Japanese, you know, yeah. it, it, it was, I worked at tempura station for a couple of years and got to learn to cook basic fish and stuff. Um, you know, and I, I, but I really just learned like how to work restaurant etiquette. Don't ask for weekends off. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> you know, like you're here, just yeah. shut up and cook and like, we'll get through this. Yeah. Uh, you know, pays like, uh, you know, pay, pay's management style is disappointment, like, you know, but, but not yelling. Yeah. He never, he was not a yeller. Yeah. So I learned, uh, I learned how, how much to value that even keeled temperament yeah. and, uh, how much more effective that was yeah. than, than screaming at, at somebody. Yeah. Um, even when I moved to New York, I could tell who was doing it right and who was doing it wrong because of pay. Like, you had a really good mentor in that sense. Oh my God. Yeah. He and, under like kitchen manners and, and just decorum in the, in the kitchen. Yeah. He was badass. Everybody in yeah. whatever kitchen pays in, everybody's like, that guy knows what he's doing. Yeah. What uh, about Dave Matthews? Uh, what's his order? I, I, I hate Dave Matthews. Yeah. I, 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 I understand that you very much do because it's very understandable. Yeah. It's just, I mean, being <laughs> from there, it just drives me crazy. If I have to hear that. That that shit uh, I, yeah. I can't handle. Yeah, um, you weren't a big Red Rocks fan. You didn't have that double CD. <laughs> <Not> okay, <yet. laughs> I I'm like uh, uh, yeah. I'm, I know you've been fighting it your whole career. I'm sure, but by having Charlottesville <laughs> yeah. on your resume. But you mentioned it, so I brought it up. Did he dine in your restaurant? Um, uh, Winson? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry. At the at the restaurant in Charlottesville that he had a uh, piece of. Or... Uh, honestly, maybe I I don't know. I was more excited when Corn Capshaw came in because yeah. he was like a you know he was an mm-hmm. entrepreneur, a manager. Sure. He was like a hustler, go getter. And look, Dave Matthews, super talented. I, no no real hate on. I know. But, you know. I know. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was other cool bands that yeah. came through. Like I think like, I, I yeah I I don't really. 
I don't really remember, to be honest with yeah. you. Uh, I mean, you're working uh, the Tempora station. Yeah. You're remembering. Anthony Bourdain came. Familiar. Like, came came and did a talk. When he, you know, and uh, and we got to cook for it. That, that's who I cared about. That yeah. kind of stuff. Completely. So you end up in New York and you work at Kraft and Colicchio and Sons. Yeah. What a cool um, place. Both of those places. Uh, I mean, in terms of. Mentorship, but also just knowing, like learning how things are done. Yeah, no, for for sure. I I, uh, I actually, so I when I realized I needed to get back to New York because I interned and uh, and staged at Craft for extended periods of time in summers uh, during college. So I was like, you know, after a year of management in Charlottesville um, at an oyster bar below Ten Sushi, mm-hmm. um, I where I was working with Pay and still under his tu- you know tutelage. I I was like, I got you know. I, I got to go up back up to New York, Crafts like culinary school. So I emailed my chef and I, I got Pay's blessing. I, I emailed my chef and I was like, hey, and this guy, James Tracy, he he told me, uh, you know, when I first interned, I was like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll quit college and I'll just come work here. And he was like, go finish. School. Yeah, you know? get that and paper. I, yeah. And I was like, gosh, that guy's, he's a good, my, yeah. my, my parents probably appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, James Tracy, definitely a legend in the game. Got to respect legend. James Tracy. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Damon Weiss was there. Oh, as God, well. Damon. So Love I, Damon. Yeah. I, I, I was really impacted by uh, one time I worked like, I was, I worked since like 7 a.m. and it was like 9 30, 10. And Damon was like, hey, bud, what are you doing? And I was like, what? He's like, what time did you get here? And I was like, uh, 7 a.m. Uh, and he, he was like, get, get out of here, go change and, and come back up here. I thought I was getting fired. Um, and he, uh, I got changed. I was like, chef, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm just really tired. He goes, go sit, go sit at the bar. And he sent me like 10 courses. Yeah. And that's my first time eating in New York. Wow. Like yeah. it, it, during a Damon's Frugal Friday. Oh, DFF. I was going to bring Dude, it up. Like, I remember DFF back then. I wrote about it around 08, yeah. 09. Yeah. DFF was cool. I, I mean, one of the coolest formats yeah. for dining. I still have those menus like in my menu folder so cool. of special stuff. Uh, yeah. So, so I really was, and I'm still influenced by Damon Weiss and James Tracy. Those yep. guys are like, you know, yep. like, uh, uh, you know, uh, like Homeric uh, mm. heroes to me. You know what I mean? They're bigger than life kind of people. Like when I was younger, they were, they're, they are physically yeah. bigger. But, you know, it's weird to hang Damon's out. Damon's a physical guy. He's, it's for sure. And and did you ever do any competitive barbecue with Damon and his crew? So uh, Damon's popped up at Winsun, nice. which was, like, such an honor. Very and, cool. Yeah, I, 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 I hang out with Damon a lot. Yeah. I, and James. I had lunch with Dame, James uh, last week and I had uh, – or two weeks ago and I had dinner with – with Damon last week, so they're they're still big parts of my life. They must be really proud of you, for real. Well, like you've done so. You're a great <laughs> chef yourself. It's obvious well, your food not, and what, they are great chefs. I, you um, too. Uh, th- thank you, thank you, thank you. But the, the, yeah, I mean, you know, it it's it's fun to be able to you know stay uh, stay connected with people who who uh, impacted me so much. Yeah. You know, they they're like pay is to me. Yeah. You know, um, so yeah, and, and and you know, not for nothing. At Calicchio and Sons, um, Dame, I, I emailed Dame, James and I was mm-hmm. like, hey, uh, I want to come to New York. I, I My only thing is like health insurance. I get health in- benefits here. I'm a manager at this mm-hmm. restaurant. He's like, well, look, we can pay you $10 an hour and you can get Cobra and then get on the craft insurance. And uh, <laughs> So you get know, Cobra just, when you quit the Virginia job? Yeah. I was, and I looked into what that entails. Like, oh, I'm just not going to have health insurance. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, and that was fine. I mean, that was the time. Like J- James James, uh, James made space for me at Click You and Sons. And I, I wanted to go to craft, but I, it was so good that I went to Click You and Sons. And I, 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 I – 
learned so much there. Yeah. And uh, I worked for um, all of Gabrielle Cruther's like lieutenants, uh, uh, you know, Luke Bergman and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Sam Kim and these these guys that were, uh, I, uh, you know, Ed Crochet is not a not a modern guy, mm-hmm. but he's a craft guy. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, working f- and James Tracy was in the kitchen all the time there. And and I remember but I remember my first day, I was like, hey, uh, what? Where's Damon? And they're like, oh, he's at Monkey Bar. You, you didn't know? He, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, he, he's not like, working here anymore. Yeah, I was like, oh, he's gone. Well, well, at least James is here. Like, yeah, I, I'll, yeah. It's <laughs> funny how that that era was really, um, and it was covered. An eater, they were really covering um, right. all these these transactions. I want to talk about meeting your your partner, your future partner, yeah. Josh Koo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys met in the backyard uh, of a Brooklyn, a Brooklyn backyard. Yeah, met his best a, friend lived above me, yeah. and uh, and I. Uh, you know, he, he was, Josh is a cool, he's a cool, yeah. cool dude. Um, I can't wait to have him on the show. I, I, I will do that at some point because I want to hear his story. Yeah, you should. But he's, 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 he's very cool. And, and, you know, he, he, he and I immediately bonded because he's kind of just like cool as a cucumber. Like you just want to know more about yeah. Josh when you meet him. And, 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 uh, and he's a really sweet guy too. So like, you know, we, we've just became fast friends and he kind of reminded me of, of, of pay because he's the only like very ignorantly uh, he, he's the only other guy I knew who's from Taiwan. So I was like asking him about Taiwanese food. I was like, mm-hmm. what does it mean to you? Like, can, you know, where where can we get it? And he was like, oh, I'll take you out to Flushing, this place I grew up eating. And so you guys bonded right away over your love and your interest because yeah. you you had not had that much interest, but you clearly were. It was enough interest to hang out with him and go into Flushing. Yeah, yeah, and we we also like rode motorcycles and and I ah. joined some uh, I joined some uh, like startup company called Jupiter Motorcycles. And it was like, wait, I, really? I, I, yeah, I did like, the math. It, oh. it was like cheaper than owning a bike. Cause I sold my, my Harley yeah. before I moved. You're a Harley there. guy. Uh, that's the go. That's I, the one. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. They're, they're the EVO engines and yeah, you know, they're, 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 they're reliable yeah. and they're, they're beautiful machines. And, yeah. uh, you know, um, yeah, we just bonded over bikes and I, I, I had done, I'd gotten hold of these, uh, this this like rental company that that would lease out or rent you out a motorcycle for um it, it was cheaper to to participate in this than owning and storing a bike in New York with yeah. insurance so um so Josh and I went on a couple motorcycle rides together and I was like that's pretty cool yeah I I, I just uh we just kind of respected each other from the outset for some you know I don't know we we just well, you know bike guys are bike guys yeah. and, and you meet yeah. them and you you really get a sense and you, if you're not a bike guy in the presence of a bike guy you you feel like you're not a bike guy right I you yeah. know I can I hear that when that's, you're on these rides sense. are you eating food because um, I feel like there's got to be food entering the picture here or something. yeah well most of the food stuff involved Josh picking me up cool. and us like you know probably smoking some weed and yeah. going out to flushing and yeah. and and eating you know eating fly set or sangto mm-hmm. and I, i'd be like yo why is this uh why is this taiwanese and you know i i'd learned a little bit of history and i'm a history nerd so you know a lot of a lot of stuff kind of worked out really organically like that and and over the years we had compiled all this research yeah. and, and and we kind of turned it into a business plan okay um, let's get let's get into that because there's clearly a time when the two of you decide maybe after smoking some weed that you want to do a business together that yeah. there's an opportunity you get a lease and as Kathy tells me in her interview and then you write in your new book yeah. like you had this space yeah and you had you know an up and coming neighborhood, so to speak, you know, it was a neighborhood that had seen a lot of change in the, you know, earlier before you'd signed that lease. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. So where did you go from there? So, um, you know, I was actually introducing Josh to friends of mine that I thought would be good 
chef candidates for him. Oh, cool. And uh, and then finally he was like, hey, dude, I want to open a restaurant with you, not your friends. And <laughs> and I was like, oh, uh, uh, like, oh, gosh, you know, like, <laughs> uh, cool. I don't know if I'm ready for that, you know, and um, we we ended up um, discussing and kind of came landed on Taiwanese food because we, we were like, well, we have to go all the way to Flushing to get that, you know, and we could have gone to Chinatown as well, but, you know, we were Brooklyn guys. So, it's, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, fl- Flushing is very near and dear to, to Josh's heart. Yeah. So, you know, we were, we were traveling to Flushing all the time and uh, whenever we had free time and we both worked kind of these weird hour jobs that, you know, we'd probably get yelled at at work a lot, both, <laughs> you know, like, and, and, uh, you know, we, we just, we grind. We were grinding. So, was Josh in food too? No, Josh is in property management yeah. and construction. Cool. Um, so he's like, you know, dealing with a lot of tenant complaints and like, you know, people's problems and just you know, I perfect would, for a restaurant tour. No, kidding. a budding restaurant tour, right? No kidding. I, I mean, I remember hearing some people yell at Josh, and I, I was like, I, I can relate to that, but this guy's really handling it, yeah, masterfully. Like, you know, Josh, he that Josh is. Josh is good at that. Sometimes I can feel my blood boiling, and I'm and and I on like an email, and I hear and I see like Josh respond. I'm like, wow, very zen. Yeah, yeah. He's just a he's a stand up guy. So uh, Kathy walks into this space. Yeah. She had lo- released her book, uh, the Food hey, of Taiwan. Hey, actually told me about Kathy's book, and I ordered it. Nice. And I saw on the jacket cover that she had a radio show at Heritage. Oh right. So I was I was like, Pat, can you do the intro? Or, or, actually, Aaron Fairbanks. I was like, Aaron, Aaron, can you please? introduce us yeah. and I, I really want to pick her brain if that's possible and then I think we were talking and I was like do you want to come by and, and check it out and maybe we could collaborate do a do a pop-up or something and 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 she ended up uh you know doing a a, a collab dinner with us and uh yumpling yeah and, she and, uh, she mentioned that she walked in and she was like wow I I had done my book for the past two years and had never found a place like this in New York City it was like really refreshing for her and in right. a link to her episode in the show notes and you can listen to her story about meeting you. But um, when you guys met, it seemed like there was a connection. Yeah, no, there was definitely, she definitely understood, um, you know, it, it's all about timing, right? Like I, I don't think we would open Winsun if, if in today's world, only because, um, you know, like we felt like we couldn't get that food, we had to go to Flushing, right? Yeah. So like that, we had, there was like a void we felt like we were filling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're we're super uh, fortunate to have a really strong community uh, in, in like the Taiwanese, Taiwanese-American food mm-hmm. community. Like we're, uh, Rich Ho is a dear friend mm-hmm. of Josh and I's. Yeah, uh, Whole Foods is great. Oh, uh, yeah, amazing. Great restaurant. Uh, Eric, Eric Z, uh, yeah. Win Win and 886. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've, we, we've all done lots of dinners together yeah. and, you know, whatnot. Um, but like, you know, it's just cool how each of these restaurants can exist with their own unique identities and they're they're serving like more real like real Taiwanese food whereas ours is like kind of an expression of the the cultural impression Taiwan has yeah. made on us and our friendship. So um which is which it's like an honor to be able to communicate. I love that you say it that way because obviously there's multitudes when it comes to Taiwanese American cuisine. Yeah. And all the chefs you mentioned, including yourself and, and Winsome, they're all, you all have a different point of view. Yeah. And I'd love to get your sense of how do you articulate your, your restaurant and, and some of the recipes featured in your new book. Right. Well, I mean, so I've learned more about Taiwanese food through history books than any, the, with the exception of Kathy's book, of course. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, 
I think the history books really helped me frame out where I could approach, uh, you know, how I how I could approach dishes and whatnot. And it just like kind of helped me frame a narrative in my mind. You know, like I'm yeah. a writer, so like I need a story. Yep. And um, even if I'm selling it to myself, I, I just I just need a story to like kind of kind of frame it out. You know, and uh, and that story is is going to Flushing and, it, and it's going to Taiwan and understanding that uh, you know that that uh the like japan's influence and uh the ming dynasty's influence yeah and, you know kind of navy pirate mercenaries mm-hmm. influence and aboriginal influence and uh you know milit martial law with chiang hai-shek's uh armies and how that kind of injected uh you know the all the myriad cuisines of china into taiwan through uh mm-hmm. you know through through this melting pot kind of new influx of 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 Chiang Kai-shek's armies, um, you know, so like these layers, and then the American um, intervention with Green Giant food initiatives, yeah. and you know, Russian baking influence, uh, yeah. and uh, you know, so like these kind of this historical onion or of a, a of a melting pot cuisine is is really fascinating to me, yeah, um, and. It, you know, it's like anything in the universe. The more you peel, you peel into it, the less you know. You yeah. Know? <laughs> well, this this island nation uh, in particular has um, modern history, has ancient history, the Aboriginal history. Yeah. And it's just a it's a rich text, obviously, for, to study. Yeah. The Jerome Keating has a book called Mapping Taiwan, mm-hmm. and he points out like uh, the Austro um, Austro Indonesian Empire, kind of the the northern tip, um, which was kind of the center of the empire d- due yeah. to the jade from Taiwan, yeah. um, you know, is the like the northern tip and Easter Island near Ecuador is the eastern tip. Oh, cool. Madagascar is the western tip. And then like this, I, I forget exactly where the southern one is, but it's it's just a, uh, you know, the seafaring nature and influence that from 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 Aboriginal and uh, mm-hmm. an older time period is, mm-hmm. I think, un- not as well understood, yeah. and 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 in Taiwan particularly, there uh, ta- the uh, Taiwanese are particularly interested in communicating their Aboriginal cuisine. And like uh, Katie Huiwen Hong, uh, who wrote the culinary history of Taipei, she's like super deep in mm-hmm. that. Uh, like I feel embarrassed to show her our book because yeah, it's, you know, she's well, like, it's not. I mean, I understand <laughs> what you're saying because it's different audience and different style, and your yeah. book is reflecting your cooking in New York City, and hers is more yes. history. When you visit Taiwan, how do you how do you how do you do that? I mean, um, do you do you spend do you spend a lot of time there? Um, do you try to spend as much time as there? And I guess how are you are you doing research? Are you reading texts while you're there? Yeah. So usually I'm reading some books. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, I, I, I usually go with Josh. I've been once without Josh. Mm-hmm. Um, I went with Pei one time. Yeah. Um, but usually we land in Taipei and we and Josh and I go on a HSR right right down to Tainan where his grandfather lives. Mm-hmm. Um, his grandfather passed away recently. Um, and his mom also recently moved back to Taipei. Um, mm-hmm. So things have changed, you know. And, and the pandemic kind of put a – threw a wrench in our like uh, annual – pilgrimage to Taiwan. Yeah. So, but, uh, but, you know, I, I, I think like connecting with people is just the most important part, you know, and that, uh, like Josh's cousin is, is like, a mm-hmm. feels like an old friend now. I mean, he's just so funny. Um, both of, both of his cousins that we hang out with there are yeah. like, you know, I feel like they're family friends. Like I watch their kids on Instagram all the time and it's fun. Uh, yeah. And, and, um, 
I, I think just like traveling and kind of experiencing and, and learning and trying to be open and receptive to things like I, I know I don't want to sound cheesy, but like I, you can't you can't like take the bull by the horns. You kind of got to just let it, you know, take you because yeah. like you're, you know, you can't you can't like master a country. You know, <laughs> like of course just, not. You you would never you never frame it that way, right? And I think with your re- research and, and the way the book is framed, there's a lot of modern history. I like the way Kathy and you all have written these sidebars, right? Lots of interviews, lots of folks that you mention in Taiwan interviews with those or, or modern chefs. I yeah. guess when you're when you're writing the book with her. And and Josh, are you what like with the sidebar material? What are you trying to do? I think we just want to illustrate the collaborative nature yeah. of uh, of our identity. I think we'll you know we'll we'll bend over backwards to just show like we want to work with our friends and have our community benefit yeah. from that. I think that's like Josh and I's dream, and like and I think Kathy's right on board with that. You know. Um, it, it evidenced by her willingness to collaborate with us from the beginning. Yeah. You know, she's not our business partner, um, but you know, we, so we feel, you know, we feel like we feel like she understands that spirit deeply because because she's yeah. she, you know from from that initial mm-hmm. collaboration, you know, she's always been on board, and 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 since we started writing the book, I think she just understands that more deeply and has witnessed that and been a part of it yep. on a deeper level. I, I'm going to link to the that episode or run that episode near this one, and, and you can definitely hear her. I want to switch gears and ask you, when, when Googling your name, an incident from July 7th, 2020 comes up, you wrote an email to your staff acknowledging management missteps. Um, and I need to ask you, what did you learn from that process and from writing that email? Oh, my God, so much. Yeah. Um, I, and I'm glad you asked that question because uh, I haven't really addressed it uh, you know, publicly. Okay. And, and it is, uh, I just have, I've learned so much and, and I feel like, um, our company has really grown up. Mm-hmm. You know, we went from being like a 25 person, small yeah. res- family restaurant vibe to, you know, like a 65 person bakery restaurant group with, a production kitchen attachment. And we, Josh and I both have auxiliary businesses mm-hmm. and we have, you know, goals to open more bakeries. Um, you know, I, I'm, I always learn stuff kind of the hard way. And I yeah. I, I didn't know how to take the pandemic. You know, I, I was like, eh, we're going to be okay. Like, we just got to, you know, wash, wash our hands and muscle through it. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, a lot of people, a lot of like the front of the house, especially their, their jobs vanished right in front of their eyes. And so they were in a different headspace than I was. And uh, I, I, I heard grievances. And I think it, I, I think if I had just shut those grievances down, it, it, it would have been the wrong move to do. So I want you mean like just shut it down, like like say that they're wrong, yeah, and move on. Yeah, right? like I I I'm I started Winson with Josh to start something different and like have a you know I came from a I, I I'd been working at a corporate restaurant group not not craft and mm-hmm. um and. I, I just didn't feel like the environment was was uh, worthwhile, and uh, it was a great experience, and I'm I'm really grateful for it. But the environment was it was just tough, like it, it wasn't realistic, and so I wanted to create something. You know, I felt like I had seen people do it the right way at you know at craft at, with pay, and mm-hmm. you know, so I, that's what I wanted to create. So I was I was kind of shocked that there was there was anybody, and I don't think my kitchen staff ever really quite felt the, the way some people felt. Yeah. Um, you know, of course there, there was a, there was a, there was one or two people that, that, uh, that took issue with my management style, but you know, like 
even the heightened awareness coming away from that, that um, the way I was, I was managing could land the way it landed on some people mm-hmm. was I was like, you know, I'm, I'm very privileged to even be able to walk around and be confident, a confident leader. Like that's a, that's a privilege. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I need to make sure I'm hearing people out if they have grievances. And, you know, so, you know, ultimately that leads to the same old story where you get an HR department. Yeah. But so you got an HR department. Yeah, we got an HR department and, and our employees, uh, you know, and I empathize with, with those concerns and those needs. Like they need to be able to pose questions and uh, question our authority and our decisions through secure channels. And mm-hmm. they need to be able to connect with people that aren't directly in control of their job. Yeah, we can be self-proclaimed good guys and, you know, cool. But if uh, if we're in control, if you're of your not job, being cool uh, in some way that maybe you are unaware of the HR channel will be the one to go to. And yeah, it's pretty clear. And I know a lot of restaurants. You're not your story is is uh, is not uncommon. I mean, the publicity of your story is uncommon. And well, unfortunately, I think that was a time and place. Thing. Of course, you know, like I don't agree with, uh, with like they said I threw a cleaver in that article. Like, yeah, I didn't fucking throw a cleaver. OK, like, yeah, I, I, I would I imagine that would be a strong issue with that. Statement. I think a, likely a police officer would be wondering about you throwing a cleaver. Yeah, like uh, it, it's crazy. But, you know, whatever. What I really wanted to do with that email in particular, uh, which I think was ahead of the article that came out following, um, I really wanted my staff to know I was there to listen and I would go to extreme measures to let to assure them that I was a willing and able participant in, you know, rebuilding trust. And and I think, you know, so much was going on at that time that it was really easy to get lost in in the woods and um and I think and I'm and I'm not I'm not saying that about anybody in particular. I think we were all like, you know, nobody knew what was happening. We were fighting for survival. People were you know relegated to their to to just being being inside all day yeah. and you know so like a lot of truths can exist at the same time yeah. and uh you know at the end of the day I'm I'm just grateful for uh for everything I I learned through that period um cuz I think we're better we're a better well, place to Well back to, to my original question was what did you learn and I'm hearing you got HR you learned to yeah. open channels was there anything else you learned from that incident Yeah like I I, I don't know um just like gut checking my instincts because I'm a pretty decisive yeah. person. Like I, I, I trust my gut. And mm-hmm. so if, you know, I think like, like, you know, I, on a micro level, if I, if I had the tendency to be like, Hey, like, you know, I don't think we should like have managers work at the, at the bar, at the bakery during service. Something, something I'd be like, you know, our service director, cat, I'll, I'll gut check myself. I'll be like, Hey, do you think, that like is going to make them feel targeted at the meeting or should I just say that privately or, you know, like if Mm -hmm. I'm, I think I'm aware of like things that be, that could be construed as like microaggressions and, you know, and and to ways where I don't feel like I'm being aggressive. I feel like I'm being direct and, and open, I'm an open communicator, you know, and I think that can strike people who are introverted or, or not open communicators. And, uh, you know, that, uh, that's not everything I learned. I don't, but, but it's hard to even describe. You've been open and I, I really do appreciate you doing that and being open because I know it's, it's hard to, to, yeah. to, 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 you know, tackle some of these big topics. And it sounds like, um, and talking to many people in your world before I booked you in the show, I, I wanted to make sure we were making the right decision. Yeah. yeah A lot yeah. of people were like, oh yeah, like you talk to Trig. He's great. And right. Oh, Cause like, I only know what I read, you know, I don't know of you. Of course. We've never yeah. met before like this way. So it's yeah. good to hear. I'm happy that you're open about this. Yeah. Well, ultimately like, 
I don't think there's any other way to be about it because it, it's a hard thing to get to open a restaurant. And, and like, you know, people don't understand that it's like you're all in, you know, like you're fighting for your life. So, you know, with Calvin, for instance, uh, you know, when we, uh, we opened Bonnie's last year and, uh, you know, it, it's an honor to be a part of that. But, you know, I think like it's been, uh, it's been a, uh, interesting test for me to operate in, in that way. Cause I'm not the chef there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, what's your role? Um, well, I was really pre-opening, uh, yeah. You know, I attend management meetings. I support logistically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your operations. Um, yeah, I, I worked. Uh, I I washed dishes on opening night. Nice. But I, I, Calvin is so much better than me. <laughs> like, he's uh, he he's an amazing operator, and it's really cool. Yeah. To see him operate, and uh, and you know, I he know he knew that my goal was to open more bakeries going into Bonnie's. So you know, I like got help work on, I got the liquor license for us. I like, you know, sat in my truck all day and watched the guys pull, put up the black pipes, uh, you know, exhaust and, you know, um, you know, and, but so did Calvin, like we both were just in there every day. You need a lot of bodies when you're opening a restaurant and you were available and and cool enough to do that. I want to hear about Winsome and and the bakery expansion because the bakery obviously is, is very popular. Um, I will ask you about the economics of, of all restaurants because it seems straight fucked right now. Yeah. Just being being candid and sorry if kids are in the car. Yeah. But um you expand you want to expand bakery? Yeah. I mean, we're having a tough time finding uh finding good deals in the city. You know, we're we're Josh has a property management and real estate and construction background. So, you know, our I think a lot of our success has been uh, you know, foundationally, uh, you know, contingent upon making good deals and yeah. uh, having good leases. And, uh, you know, if a landlord in the city, you know, wants to charge you $25,000 in rent that we pay <laughs> like, you know, six, yeah, 7,500 <laughs> for in Brooklyn, like it, the economic, we have to triple our revenue yeah. in the same, in the same space, you know, like it just doesn't, it doesn't quite make sense. So we haven't jumped on anything in the city yet, but you know, we think we could triple our revenue. We just, we just need to find the right space and the right landlord and that's willing to, you know, go dollar for dollar for, you know, tenant improvements and, uh, you know, uh, infrastructural stuff that we can't take with us. Like we don't want to put, we don't want to fundraise a million dollars and put it into somebody's building that's going to get it for the rest of their of their days. And then you talk about top line, so revenue needs to triple. But then let's talk about bottom line because when <laughs> eggs cost one hundred and twenty six dollars a case, <laughs> when they used to cost around sixty to seventy dollars a case uh, eighteen months ago. Yeah. So I want to ask you about just ma- the bottom line and like raising costs and and how are you handling this stuff? Yeah, I mean, look, we uh, we have, I mean. We've raised the prices at Winsun, um, you know, systematically with, uh, you know, always on the conservative level. We've we've always wanted to be a price inclusive place, you know, because we're on, you know, the avenue of the Puerto Ricas. We're we're near uh, co-op, you know, buildings, and mm-hmm. we, uh, you know, like a lot of uh, a lot of older Chinese folks live in uh, in the, in, the, in some buildings near us on Montrose, and we always kind of we like wanted those you know, demographics to be able to enjoy yeah. what we're serving. Un- you know, unfortunately, we we're like catering to mostly newcomers to the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at this point, people that have been there for a while now, but, you know, not necessarily the folks who have been there for like 60 years. Yeah. You know, they're they're not really trying to like fight for a table at one son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's okay. But, um, you know, 
I, I think we've always we've always been under market on prices. Uh, so we've had a lot of breathing room, especially as uh, as other restaurants have increased their prices. We're still like hovering in a huh. in a good spot where we're covering we're covering the bottom, you know. How do you make up for it then if you're keeping your prices below inflation essentially? How do you make up for it with you do it with volume? I know there's lines. I mean, you guys do nice. Yeah, I I mean, we definitely it's 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 easier to operate a busier restaurant than it is to operate a, a slow yeah. restaurant. Um but you know, I I would say we're still competitive, but you know, we just it's easier to for customers to bear those prices mm-hmm. increases if we're starting from a below market rate. You know, we're just not trying to gouge people. I like this optimism. I mean, I'm hearing that you keep your prices in check and you're just making it work internally versus it being like we're all fucked kind of mentality. Yeah, like, look, some dishes have like an 18% food cost yeah. and some of them have like a 35% food cost, which is a technically mm-hmm. a, no, a no-no by like industry standards. But, you know, you you win where you win and you lose where you lose. And, and, and uh, you know, if, if you don't break the the – if you try to beat the industry standard for food costs – in um, most of your menu, then then you have a little breathing room. Like maybe yeah. you can have a short rib on the menu or maybe you can, you know, you sell enough peanuts and cucumbers where you can, you know, do something crazy and put uni on something. But uh, – or in our case, smoked trout row on yeah. popcorn chicken. We used to do that a lot. But um, I love that. That sounds so good. Uh, oh, my God. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we did like a persimmon red hot with smoked trout row oh, on fun. the fried chicken. Yeah. Was, I, I, I love that, um, that, that dish just because it's – I just love fish eggs. Yeah. Um, of all kinds. Yeah, Shadrow. Uh, yeah. Oh, Shadrow from Virginia. Shout <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Fish Row is, is excellent. I mean, the caviar Ooh, bumps, so. I would say that's maybe going a little far. Yeah, except for at 63 Clinton, the caviar hand roll that Sam rolls around the little cart through the restaurant. That's okay. fucking badass. I'll, uh, I'll respect that. I've <laughs> yeah. never had that, but I'll have to respect that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's more like the meme of the, the caviar bump that went around, right. you know, that whole thing. But You're like, oh, God, yeah, enough of food that. influencer bumping caviar. <laughs> Uh, food influencers, they can have their day. I, you know, I appreciate food influencers. Like sure. they all came to my, our first pop up at Craft, and yeah, people like uh, Christine Yee, and they influence people. And and we didn't, we never had PR. We didn't have a PR company, so you know, we treated uh, Instagram like foodie people, like mm-hmm. they were people. And we, you know, there some of those folks are not as as attuned to restaurant etiquette as others, but like for the most part, they just are really interested in yeah. food, you know? And like, that's, that's genuine. Come correct, Craig. I like that a lot because we do bag on the influencers sometimes in a joking <laughs> manner, but I mean, there are people like they, they love food. They express food love in different ways and yeah. maybe it's not my cup of tea, but I like the fact that they're centering uh, their content around food and restaurants. Yeah. It's cool. It, it is cool. It's a lot cooler than like, um, you know, uh, uh, we don't need to get negative. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it's that. It's a lot cooler I'll than keep... eh, we'll like blank that out. But, it, <laughs> but it's, it's a lot cooler than certain um, influencer talk, um, front-facing camera talk. Yeah. That... I mean, I ha- we have like uh, sometimes larger companies, uh, you know, say come at us and they're like, hey, like let's, you know, you guys should do a party for this, this, mm. and for this. And we're like, yeah, what's your budget? And they're like, no, we're just going to be involved. We're Oh, I love that. Uh, it's, a, it's awesome, guys. Thanks for asking. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> it's, that's like me and Josh doing it and, yeah. and asking our staff to come in and do it. Like, 
Go hilarious. I hope that that uh, tendency is if marketing directors out there can cannot do that uh, and have like a real budget because restaurants are yeah. not like nonprofits. Yeah, you know? I, I know. It's crazy. Yeah. It, people think that, uh, you know, inadvertently. You yeah. Know, that sometimes bless them. It's not their fault. Even they're just unaware. No. They've never worked in a restaurant. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you, wrapping up a, a few more, uh, I always like to ask chefs where they're eating. So yeah, yeah, uh, three yeah. to five just places that you love um, going to. I actually to. wrote. Um, Thank you. I, I wrote down. Came prepared. Yeah, some of Appreciate my favorite it. restaurants just because I, I – Don't uh, want to miss it. Yeah. I've already talked about 63 Clinton. I think that's a really fun tasting menu and yeah. I think it's uh, – it, it like blew my socks off and it's like – and it, and, it, and it's it's moderate. Uh, the price is moderate mm-hmm. and, and Raymond and Sam and their, their whole staff. It's just fun and, and it's a cool way to – you know, I know that's based mostly Speedy Romeo, so I, I think it's cool what they're. Man, doing. I love that. that that oven there is nice. Oh, so they got badass. a beautiful oven. Yeah, that that yeah, Clinton Street certainly. Um, I mean that what the Wiley Day is not far from there. Yeah, you know, yeah. like a few doors down, and and like gotta respect that that oven. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, you know, I I think Eric C is doing really fun yeah. food at Win Win, and I I just gotta like shout out like how uh, laser focused Rich is at Whole Foods, like just yep. quietly just putting putting out laser focused yep. hot fire every you know yeah, like and very busy yeah yeah and 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 um you know ops is like mm-hmm. one of my favorite restaurants uh, uh the wine list there is incredible mm-hmm. the dough is so good yeah the great pizza just it's absolutely respected. unbelievable yeah yeah industry too and rick bread and salt yep. um the, jersey like, city all, all that stuff like really speaks to me um i think calvin's doing an amazing job yep. at bonnie's, bonnie's. I'm, I'm so proud of him and uh one of my favorite restaurants as well is Chez Matan. I, and and I love Jake and Aiden. And I, I think they're kind of like they're they're batting like like they're they're like just two guys and they're they're doing Chez Matan like speaks, I think, more to their personality. But like like La Crocodile is just as good. Yeah. It's like this beautiful restaurant. And, uh, you know, I just think their food is so fun and, and, and nice to eat. Like my wife and I went went to Lake Rock uh, mm-hmm. for our anniversary. And it, it was just, we felt like it, it was cool. It was, it, we, you know, drinking coffee out of like nice porcelain. <laughs> it, you know, it was, it was just a, yeah. it was like fun experience. Um, but I, I, I love going to Chez Matan. Me too. And, our office is right by, our old office is right by Chez Matan. So uh, yeah. definitely great happy hour spot and yeah. just like great, great food there. And I, think, give... I think Jake worked at Manresa mm-hmm. and Barbudo. So like, I, I just, I, I fuck with Jake on yeah. a lot of levels. Yeah. He's yep. just a cool, he's a cool yeah. guy. And I, I don't know Aiden as well, but I, I really like him too. Um, and then, you know, I, I ate it. I ate, have eaten inadvertently I before the review I ate twice at Claude and mm-hmm. I had like the first half of the menu and the second half of the mm-hmm. menu and it was so good yeah um I just I respect I, I've Josh and I have not met until recently but we bought from Heritage forever and he's been I, I've so I've heard about him since the Momofuku Nishi days and yeah um I've just Josh always Pinsky res- is this reference? Yeah, yeah, I just have always respected him as like a humble, quiet, like like uh, you know, I don't I don't really know him very well, yeah. but just like just good, good, solid cooking. Like that pork chop is epically yeah. delicious. So yeah. I went to Danielle for the first time recently, oh, and nice. I had the pork, and I, I, first of all, badass meal, yeah. but but the pork was a little disappointing. <laughs> I yeah. hate to say it, yeah. and, and I was like, I just wish I was at Claude. Yeah, Claude. Claude is your uh, second time today referenced in, from interviews. It's it's a great. Yeah, I've not been. It's good. Yeah, it's it's really good. Cool. And uh, and and then uh, you know, 
French app is just yeah. I love feeding there. I mean, it's a little expensive, but yeah. like it, when I if I want to have a really feel like I live in New York, I I, I like to go to French. Yeah, French it's cool. It's definitely uh, expensive, and it's good to good to try. Yeah, good to get get in the room and have the vibe and get the pen and bounce. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. go there like once, twice a year. But like, yeah, I, totally I, I'll have really good wine there, and I, and you know just a. Just a good, I don't know. Yeah. I always have a good time there. Well, yeah. you, you've got great taste in restaurants, and, and we share Akira Kudo as our friend. And yeah, we, the man. We we dine out together, Akira and I, and I feel he's always talking <laughs> about you. So let's share a meal, you and I, at some point. I would love to. It would be yeah. real fun. Yeah. Um, we asked all guests on the Taste Podcast if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline, yeah. or budget, meaning you have all the money in the world. Oh, my Trig, God. what would that book be? That's a that's a crazy question. I I don't know, man. I I like I have ambitions of like like going my buddy lives in Peru and, and the like in a one horse town called Calca and I, I my wife and I got engaged there and um he's like I I respect him so hard. He's a engineer with a business degree from UVA and he's uh you know, he, I've been hearing about the political strife and you know from his perspective, which is very different from like the New York Times perspective. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like my mind is like, I want to write a book about that. Like, yeah. You know, like I want to go live in Peru and, you know, take my kids and my wife down there and like help, you know, communicate this to the world. So, you yeah. know, so I don't know. I don't know if I writing a cookbook is uh, it's crazy hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I, I don't know. I, I love like I I love World War II history yeah. and the Pacific Theater and um I think maybe, you know, how, how that has affected Southeast Asian cuisine or something, or I I, I don't know. It's that's yeah. a tough. We're riffing one. here. I like it. I like it a lot. I yeah. can't wait to. You will write another book. I know you will. <laughs> Your book is wonderful. Trig Brown. Thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Ronnie Chima, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Thank you for having me. I love seeing your face coming into the studio. It's really nice to have you. It's it's always your face and your voice are very comforting uh, to me. Wow. Yeah. I mean, listen, um, I feel like we have been through some stuff in Korea and we can get into that. Um, you were comforting in 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 a in a country that I love, but I learned a lot about myself on this last trip that we went on. So um but first I wanted to have you on to talk about Chima Travels and what you do, because it's cool to like hear from a travel professional. I know we're booking for the rest of the year right now. Um, what are some countries that you feel right now there's a lot of demand to travel for? Besides Italy, Italy is always, that's the country that gave me white hair last year, <laughs> like more white hair. Um, and it's really Portugal. It felt like a lot of people wanted to go to Portugal in 2020. So now they're just like the demand is even higher. Yeah. Uh, Japan. I can't take <laughs> any more Japan requests. Yeah. It's it's just too many. It's too many. Yeah. And there's not enough um, guides, drivers, people on the ground because everyone got nine to five jobs because yeah. they were like, we don't know when we're going to open up. It feels hopeless. So a lot of people left the tourism industry, meaning my partner's. They're like, Ronnie, we can't take any travel for after. And this was a month ago for after. We can start taking them after July 
if they want to travel after July. Yeah. So now at this point, I have a feeling it's going to be after September or October. Yeah. So I'm even reorganizing my small group uh, coffee trip, Mm -hmm. not culinary trip, uh, for next year to be in the spring. So that planning is happening now. Let me ask you back to Italy. Was there a real white lotus effect? (laughs) Yeah. I actually really, um, uh, white lotus has been interesting because for Hawaii, demand was really high already. And then I was, I don't have HBO Max. Yeah. So I didn't know what anyone was really talking about. And I had travelers who wanted to go to Hawaii and they said they wanted to have the white lotus experience. I (laughs) didn't know what that meant. Uh, And then I watched it on a Delta flight (laughs) and I'm like, oh, just so you know, I can coordinate that minus the murders and the drugs (laughs) and things like that. Yeah, that's that's actually good that you're avoiding that part. uh, (laughs) Sicily, though, that is already last year. I was really surprised to see Sicily. Yeah. Even before Mm. White Lotus, it blew up. Everyone seemed to be in Sicily. And now everyone wants to go to Sicily. For back in in about Japan, what are the main questions that you're getting from potential travelers? And we'll get into what you do because I'm really fascinated in sure. talking about your business. But but Japan, like what what are, are folks looking to do there? Well, eat. They come yeah. to me because yeah. they want to eat. Right. They want to have these experiences. There's um besides tea ceremonies now. There's coffee ceremonies. Yeah. Um that are happening and they don't know about that. A lot of for a lot of people, it's their bucket list trip. So because the country was closed for so long, they have all these regrets about not going when they want it to go and when they should have, mm-hmm. uh, quote unquote. But um, yeah, it, it's a lot of food stuff, food experiences, and it really does feel like it's back to normal requests. Right. Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka, Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka. It's like the Venice, Florence, Rome. Venice, Florence, Rome. That's all I'm ever planning. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. And and now that they're open and they have been open relatively a short amount of time compared to other parts of Europe and, mm-hmm. of course, the States, it's uh, I'm sure the demand is great. Yes. And it's the navigating. Mm-hmm. How do I do all the things? Right. Um, and there's lots of frustration, too, just because uh, the apps, <laughs> yeah. maybe they fixed it, but the app, they're not. I know this sounds weird, but just from... Comparing Korea and Japan, Japan's not very tech savvy, Mm -hmm. and it feels like they're a little behind on a lot. Yeah. So when it comes to developing the app and uploading your passport or the passport photo or whatever, it's just so difficult. It Mm -hmm. took me it took me hours to do it, and I'm patient. Yeah, definitely. And it took me hours to do it. Another friend, it took him a week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Technology in J- Japan is up and down. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Korea is, is a little more progressive in, in some ways. Yeah. It's a good good point. Chima Travel, let's get into what you do. And I'm, I'm really curious, um, holistically, um, you're a boutique travel agency focusing in food, focusing in culture. But in general, um, how do you help folks travel? Well, I have different kinds of experiences. It really depends on what they're looking for, because I can do something that's from start to finish the second they leave their home to the moment where they return home. Yeah. But a lot of people don't need that these days. They just want support with research. So um, it really is just about. That's I, cool. So it's so yeah. it's, sometimes it's not just the booking. You can actually help just figure out an itinerary. Yes, which I actually prefer to yeah. do these days because there are so many cancellations. I mean, we're still in a pandemic. 
people are still getting sick. Mm -hmm. And if it's not COVID, it's it's something else. Um, so then hotels are need to be canceled. And then after booking everything, I have to go back and cancel everything. So now I do like the research portion mm -hmm. of it because that also means I can offer, I know this sounds weird, but I can offer more mm -hmm. when I'm just researching. Right. Because there's no li liability issues if yeah. I book something because uh, I can't really, liability issues, I can't book anything through Airbnb. But if I'm doing research. You can give some really strong suggestions. Exactly. I see that. And yeah. that makes sense. So your clients will sometimes just need like a seven-day itinerary when in fact they can book themselves or you can do the whole thing or you can go with them, right? You and, and let's talk about that part of the business, the, the actual tour guiding part of it. Yeah, the small group culinary trips. Yeah. That actually was inspired because of South Korea. Yeah, yeah. Because no one was asking me for it. My niche was yeah. too niche. <laughs> it was culinary travel in South Korea. Right. And everyone told me, well, you should tack on Japan. Mm. No one's asking for that. You should tack on this. Um, so I brought in it, and it was just the culinary travel part. But South Korea really inspired it because no one was asking for it. It's an incredible country, as mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. The food is unbelievable. The people are dope. Mm -hmm. So it was just, um, I want to show people, I want to show travelers. No, that's a lie. I want to force you to ask for South Korea. Yeah, I... <laughs> That's how it is. This is the itinerary I designed. You're going to like it, and you're going to go on it. Yeah. Um, I... And it worked Strong words. Yeah. No, I mean, it's in the best way possible. I think mm -hmm. you definitely need to give strong recommendations. And you have a passion for Korea, not just because you love the food, but you live there. Yeah. So I wanted to get into that because you, you lived in Gwangju and you were a, an English teacher about a decade ago. Is that right? Maybe a yes. little bit less than a decade ago. Yes. Uh-huh. So what was, so tell me, I'd like to hear a little bit about that experience, just moving to Korea a decade ago to teach English. That was... The most exciting, I just got chills. Yeah. It was the most exciting thing that had ever happened. And it wasn't scary. It just, I applied for jobs in Argentina. I applied for jobs in Turkey. And then South Korea, everything just happened mm -hmm. so easily, one thing after another. And I chose the how I ended up in Gwangju. And there's two. So it's mm -hmm. the Cheolanamdo province, the mm -hmm. fifth largest city in South Korea. Um I just checked off on the box, I'm open to anywhere. And mm. it turned out anyone who checked off, <laughs> I'm open to anywhere, <laughs> ended up in Guangzhou. Yeah. And Guangzhou, they're not really familiar or used to having so many foreigners mm -hmm. um, in their city. Especially a decade ago. Exactly. Yeah. So it was the best way to be immersed mm -hmm. in the country because English was definitely limited. Yeah. It was just my students and maybe the teachers who spoke English really well. So it really forced me to learn how to speak, uh, uh, kind of speak. Yeah. Well, I mean, kind of. I, th I think your time there really is reflecting your, your love of Korea, which I, yeah. I, we have a connection over that. What were some of the dishes or foods that you, when you moved there, you're like, wow, these are amazing. Like these are, this is, wow, this is not just uh, bibimbap, which, you know, or tacos, which we at the time, decade ago, maybe a lot of people thought Korean food was just that, but so much more there. I was introduced to Korean food through my Korean friends and it was always barbecue. Yeah. That was it. So going to South Korea, I was terrified because I have a sesame seed allergy. Oh, right, right. But I'm not allergic to sesame oil. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really 
know that at the time until, you know, doctors mm-hmm. happened, came into my life. But um, it was Calbee Gym was my uh, absolute favorite thing. And I would ask my uh, coworkers and co-teachers at school, we're eating it. What is this? And they I don't know why it was so complicated for them to describe or just tell me it was kalbi jim. They just said it's just beef mm. with some vegetables. Like yeah. it's just so a little for, more than that. Yeah. And I think and I don't know if you noticed, but in Korea, it is just this is just this. This is just yeah. what we make. This is just yeah. what we have. And for us, it's like, what? Yeah. This is mind blowing. Right. But for them, it's just, it's just. Yeah. It's just I mean, food. it's native cuisine and it's, it's like just, it's dinner. It's not quote unquote Korean food, which exactly. is an interesting point. And Kalbi Jim is one of my favorites oh my too. God. I love it. We have a great recipe in Koreatown. And I, I think it's long stewed orchard fruits with soy sauce and, and short ribs. And the one we had in Gwangju. Yeah. Whole. Excellent. That was incredible. Absolutely. It was fresh. She yeah. made it fresh. She made it right from the yeah, that was a good that was a cool little that was yep. a cool little moment. Mm-hmm. Like walking into a random spot in Guangzhou and having a a, a woman, uh, maybe in her fifties, sixties, you know, not expecting a group of eight eight travelers, all you know, mostly not Korean. And <laughs> she she made some Colby Jim with the pressure cooker. It was great. She was happy. She was so happy too. Uh zooming out a little bit. I just want to get your take. How can we be better travelers, especially international travelers, as as fans of food and, and those who we're booking travel for spring and into summer? Right now, we have all these great destinations, but we want to be the best travelers possible. How do we do that? Just to not be a dick. <laughs> because True. Right. there are so many people who are expecting uh, upgrades. They're expecting this level of service. They're expecting all these things when they're not realizing that uh, a lot of hotels, the hospitality world is severely low staffed. Yeah. So if your flight gets delayed, it's because maybe both of the pilots or canceled, both of the pilots probably got sick or, you know, they decided to quit. I don't know. That seems abrupt. But yeah. it, it's that it's having the patience and understanding that there are humans yeah. running the show to make your vacation enjoyable. It's your vacation. They're not on vacation. Yeah. So it's just having this patience and understanding. That's really all I can ask for. And then also get travel insurance. Yeah, you are a really <laughs> strong uh, advocate for that. I think it's great. It's 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 going to be a couple hundred bucks if, if that, not mm-hmm. not much. And it'll really save your ass if you get into that trouble, which does happen. Exactly. Your, your, your luck runs out, typically. <laughs> I can give two recommendations for travel insurance also. Oh, yeah. If that's okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All about Rex here. Unsponsored. Yeah. Uh, World Nomad yeah. is really great for um, those who are budget travelers, mm-hmm. and they might have flexibility with their itinerary. So let's say I've been there. I'm supposed to just go to Istanbul for a week. I'm like, I don't want to go home. I'm going to go to Florence, and then I can adjust. So you they're really flexible with yeah. that. Uh, and then there's, ugh, I always mess this up. The name is terrible. Mm. Rome Right Arch. Mm. That's the most comprehensive. And, of course, it depends on what state you're in. It There's one that's cancel for any reason if you need. But that one's the best one, and it is pretty costly. And then, of course, you can always ask your credit card mm-hmm. Um the card you're using to book travel because they always have travel insurance also but understand your policy yeah because 
they might just offer you fifteen hundred dollars back on a trip that's like twenty thousand yeah, dollars or something. You, you gotta you gotta be careful. So exactly. let's let's just go grim and and what, what so what can go wrong? Like what? <sighs> why do we need travel insurance? What what kind of what kind of shit can hit the fan? Because you've seen you it. Could, you could go hiking and fall off a cliff. Yeah, that's like, true. <laughs> that's horrible. Yeah, injury, uh, bodily injury. Exactly, bodily injury. It could be um, you get sick and you can't get on your flight home. Um, I know um, my, I love my parents, but I had a really bad ear infection. I think I was in fourth grade in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. The doctor said we can't, I should not be on a plane. We still got on a plane. Oh, no. But that was because they, immigrant parents, yeah. are just like, doctors, what do they know? <laughs> so um, it, it's like, oh, if you need to stay a little longer, if there's trip interruption, things, because you're not a psychic you don't know what's going to happen. Anything can happen yeah. at any moment. So that's yeah. And yeah. they cover like changes in itinerary. I think that's a big oh, yeah. part of it too. Totally, because especially if it's, it's something that's non-refundable. Yeah, you want to be covered, especially yeah. if it's the hotel or car Definitely. rental or something like that. What about restaurant reservations? I feel like that to me has been challenging, especially if you're staying in an Airbnb and you don't have a traditional concierge service. How do you how do you book in in like a country where you maybe don't speak the the language? That's funny. I was going to say, go to your concierge. Yeah, I know. The concierge is like the, um, the go-to, but there's got to so, be. No, there are. So in Europe, it's fork. Mm-hmm. And you can also get discounts yeah, on, sure. on meals and things like that. So it's fork. Um, and messaging the restaurant directly, because if yeah. you don't speak the language, they're going to use WhatsApp. And if you see a phone number on their website, just assume it's connected to WhatsApp. Yep. Um, and then in Korea, though, it's Kakao Talk. Yep. And Japan, is it L- Line? Yeah, Line in Japan. I've never had to use Line, but yeah. I used Mango. Mango? Huh, I don't know that one. Or I know Line. I've used Line in Japan, Kakao Talk. Kakao yeah. Taxi saved my ass in Seoul and in around Korea. Wow. What a yeah. what a li- like a life changer. Kakao is amazing. It is great. Uh, Korea is amazing. It is the best technology <laughs> um, in the world for sure. Um, I feel like I'm I'm going to Israel in a couple of weeks and I've been trying to book a reservation and it's like not easy. <laughs> So did you bring me on this podcast to uh, – no, I'm just kidding. No, to, to get some recs for <laughs> to Israel. Get you, to get support for – and I don't actually know. What would it be for Israel? I, I think Israel's Instagram is what I ended up texting. I had a friend actually. My friend Ayal sent a, a message in Hebrew. Southeast Asia, yeah, especially Indonesia, it would be Instagram too. Yep. So it's, it's really interesting if you just message. So like – there is a restaurant, a Korean restaurant, of course, in Portugal, yeah. uh, in Porto that I, because I was living there for six months. Yeah. Um, I was really craving and they weren't on fork. Mm. And I kept trying to email them. They were always whatever, unavailable. So I just slipped into their DMs. Yep. And they're like, oh, we'll make room for you because if you're talking to a person yep. and the technology hasn't caught up to the reservation... Yeah, IG is great. Yeah. Let's talk about Portugal. You are spending a lot of time there and focus there for 2023 for this year. Um, I remember talking to my my old colleague, Anna Hiesel, about Portugal. We both went within like six weeks, weeks of each other, and it was like the big country to visit before the pandemic. It sounds like things are even better now. What are you up to this year? So this year I am leaving to go to the Algarve, specifically inland Algarve, further away from the coast. And I'm hosting a small group trip. 
and it's my smallest. It's six travelers. Oh, right on. Yeah. And um, then I have I have a trip that's I call it Portugal 101. So if it's your first time and you're really interested in hitting the major spots, but I like to support the little guys. Yeah. So in between Lisbon and Porto, we stop off at um, this man who makes cheeses and he's the only person in his village and he's 89 years old because everybody has left yeah. to go to Lisbon. They want, you know, office jobs and things yeah. like that. So mm, that's real. Um, and then Alentejo, Portugal, because of the food, the yeah. wine, and also the ceramics and art yep. that's happening. So those are the three trips that I have happening this year. And then my Egypt trip, just because it's always in demand. Yeah. You're, so you're booking, yeah. some of these locations you're booking every year. You've, you've been there many times. And Egypt's another one of them. Exactly. Yes. And it really is, I know a lot of people don't run their business this way, but it really is, how do I feel? Yeah. How do I feel about this? Because there are some trips that can happen every single year. South Korea could happen every single year. Last year, we, it was the first trip since 2019. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a lot had changed. A lot was different. So it was sort of um, a lot of the restaurants or people weren't ready for us. Yeah. And there's a part of me just like intuition wise, it feels like they might still not be fully ready. So in Korea, we're focusing on the uh, two culinary trips one during cherry blossom season in korea because it's mm -hmm. cheaper yeah yeah <laughs> and it's gorgeous and no one thinks of south korea for cherry blossoms but cherry blossoms are everywhere yeah um and then japan that one oh i've been dying to do it's been on hold for of course 2020 yeah since 2020 and the focus there is coffee yeah of course we're gonna have delicious food yeah but coffee but it's a yeah it's another amazing. level yeah it's it's really another level. I love that. Let's just get to some details. Um, how do we book with you? How do how would somebody book with you? What are the prices? How, like how does how do you how do you structure the the cost of a trip? How does that all work? So it so to reach out to me, you can find me at Ronnie at Chima's travel.com or send a request through the website. We'll link which to that is, in the show notes. Yes, and you exactly. Can just click on that. And then it depends on what your budget is because nice. Yes. It depends on what your budget Most is. Most travel agents will not say that. I, but, I mean, some will, but, but it needs to be realistic. Right. If you're, I, I once had a uh, honeymooners who wanted to go to Bora Bora, um, for two weeks, mm. which I always make this joke. It's Bora boring yeah. for two weeks, like go somewhere else too. But their budget was Two thousand yeah. dollars for two weeks in Bora Bora—that's not happening. Yeah, there's certain. I don't care, even if you do it the cheapest way possible. Mm -hmm. Like that's not happening. So if you have a realistic budget, I'll work with you. Yeah. Um, and usually, especially right now, here you go. There, there are travelers who don't know what their budget is because they don't know what to expect. So whatever you would have paid, <laughs> yeah, uh, in 2019. You would double that now yeah. because Very everyone's wanting to make their money back. Uh, there's inflation. Mm -hmm. Everything costs more. So whatever, if you think your budget is $6,000 for one week for two, you're going to most likely have to double that. And that's to be on the safe side. Right. 
because um, a lot of destinations will not cost twelve thousand mm. dollars for a week of travel. But just know that it's going to be much higher than mm-hmm. you probably expected. Speaking of costs, how do you save money? How do you how do you cut down on the budget if you say you have six thousand and not twelve thousand? Is there like common errors made by travelers like overpaying for certain things, or is that is that tough to no, tough to ask? It's 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 not that anyone's really overpaying. Right. Fair enough. I That's think a, it's important. It's right. I think it's important to know that your air. And your hotel is going to be your highest cost. Right. If you're just going to be wandering about, um, yeah, that's going to be affordable. But if you want to do, you know, of course, I go to Italy because everyone's yeah. asking for it. But the Vatican, you want to do a full day tour with a private guide. Guess what? That's going to be six or seven hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of people who want to do work with private guides, but they don't want to pay that person or pay for that. So um, it's always. And it's not about saving either. This is how I think of it. Focus on air. Air could be your most costly. It depends on where you're going to stay. If it's an Airbnb or really small boutique property, air is probably going to be the most costly. And that's what you should get. And then you can also save your money. Mm-hmm. And then when you're ready, book your hotel. Mm-hmm. But if you're also looking to go to Italy this year, you need to start planning a month ago. Yeah, it sounds Anything, like- any travel you're contemplating, the second you have that desire, the second you're like, I want to do this, you need to start planning and booking immediately. Hot take here. Feel like as Americans, as living in the United States, we should celebrate our country in the summer. And go to Europe and Asia in the winter and the fall. That, that, to me, going to Italy in June feels like a little off. Disagree? Agree? No, I totally agree with you. First off, it's also hot. It's hot. It's getting hotter and hotter. Uh, Rome is unbearable. Yeah. Um, For a lot of, like, many months a year. Well, exactly. So I love our country. I love the United States. I went on a road trip. Um, it was a two-month road trip with my ex, and we went from coast to coast and back, dipping into Canada and Mexico. It was the most epic and amazing yeah. thing. And the Southwest, yeah, whoa. Yeah, I love New that, Mexico. That is an amazing region of the United yeah. States. New Mexico is amazing. Yeah. Okay, so two like future-looking questions. So first, what are like two or three pl- destinations that you feel are on the cusp? Meaning, um, and of course, the the... the the caveat is that like all cultures have vibrant this and that scenes. Like I can't, you can't, I don't like to say the next big thing because it's like unfair to like culture and what we do here at Taste like undermines what we do. But but still, I want to know as a destination, especially in the travel industry, is there a couple destinations that you feel are on the cusp, but like maybe a little under re- re- represented in touring? Saudi Arabia. Yeah. A lot of people are interested in going to Saudi Arabia, but they're also very conflicted. Yeah which I can't blame anyone, but because Saudi Arabia is investing a lot in their marketing um, and tourism and infrastructure, there's a lot of hotels that are already getting developed, like chain hotels, luxury hotels, things like that. So, and I say Saudi Arabia, but really it's the Middle East in general. Um, Iran, people have been always interested in Iran, but then they cancel their trips because something happens and they can't go anymore. So there seems to be this deep desire to go 
to the Middle East for a lot of folks. Um, Turkey is always up there, but there's always concerns. Mm. And there well, don't... the leadership there is is troubling. Yes, to, the to leadership put it lightly sucks. Yeah, but the thing is, is the people are amazing. Yeah. And no matter where you go in the world, yes, you're gonna, you know, the first and only time I've ever experienced racism in Korea was with the taxi driver. And I don't know if he was racist. He could have just been like, you're a Westerner. Mm -hmm. You have COVID. Get out of my taxi. He kicked me out. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I don't know what happened. I'm going to leave it alone. But everyone, humans are inherently kind. Oh, agree. And they want to connect with you. And that's all I ever hear, especially when I'm traveling. I went to mm -hmm. Turkey. I went to Gaziantep. That's actually where the, um, the epicenter of the earthquake mm -hmm. was. And... Our media had told me, as a woman, it's going to be dangerous. Something horrible could potentially happen to me. And then I accidentally—I wasn't a travel planner then. I was a backpacker. Yeah. I ended up in Batman, Turkey. Uh, <laughs> straight up Batman. They have a sculpture of Batman, too. Um, <laughs> That's Batman, the Wow. Wow. <laughs> ba Batman, Turkey, at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I didn't realize— my dress was slightly transparent. It was like a whole thing. I was yeah. the only woman at this bus terminal. And I kept thinking, this is it. <laughs> this is how it happens. This is how I die. Mm. And wow. You went there. Whoa. I went yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And no, all they ever did was try to help me figure out, because no one spoke English. I didn't speak Turkish. Um, and they supported me and helped me find my way, because that's not where I was supposed mm -hmm. to be. I was supposed to be somewhere else. Is there one more place that comes to mind that maybe you think more people should go visit? Yes, it's the Arctic. Yeah. And there is a really high demand uh, for Greenland. Iceland has always been in high demand. But I even have honeymooners wanting to go to yeah. uh, Norway and like the Laplands yeah, yeah. and see the... The, Northern uh, Lights. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about Africa? What What are you? Are you getting inbound requests for for trips to Africa? How How do you think about Africa? Uh, there's North Africa, which is you know you go to Egypt, but then we're talking about sub-Saharan Africa. What do you think about that? I mean, I get a ton of requests for Morocco and Egypt. Travelers are asking for South Africa, and while they're there and spending time traveling to these places, they're going to Botswana and Mozambique also. Okay, so I have to ask you this question. It's 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 fun to t talk about bucket list, but but for you personally, what are your three places you on your personal travel bucket list? The Arctic. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go all over the Arctic. Right. New Zealand is new. Interesting. That's a new yeah. desire I've had recently. And India. I know I'm Indian, mm -hmm, <laughs> but I've mm -hmm. only been to my family's village in Punjab. Yeah. But that seems I like really a very, like it's a it's a uh, massive country, yeah. and I really want to dive deep into India. That's cool. I, I would, I would, I would like to hear about your travels through India and, and discovering it. Shalia Harris, our producer, I want to ask you because we're, we're just we bucket list is like the it's like the greatest question, right? Oh yeah, we're, and I think especially you know in the past couple of years when maybe like traveling has been down a little bit, yeah. there's been a lot of time to like think and like dream up like you know. So what are your three? Oh boy. Um, on the spot. So, Leon's a big one, which is more practical for me. Um, I have friends in the area. Yeah. Um, Southern France. Yes, yes. Center of gastronomy, some would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I So, for I had never been to 
Central America before last year, and I spent a week in Costa Rica and really loved it. So I'm Mm -hmm. thinking Belize would probably be high on the list of for a next trip. And then I think maybe the third would be maybe South Africa. Like I've spent um, a lot of time in Morocco. I lived in Morocco for five months. And as we talked previously, also lived in Tanzania Mm -hmm. for a while. So I'm thinking I would like like to experience like another region. So let's go South Africa. I like this. So Ronnie, back to you. You've heard Shalia's three picks. How do you then speak with a potential client about crafting a trip around, say, South Africa. How does that work? I'm, I'm really curious how the actual, like, work, like, how do you plan something? What do you, you must ask a lot of questions. Yeah. Uh, the biggest question is, what do you want? What do you desire? Why South Africa? Why are we on this call right now? Because there was something that they might not feel like they can do on their mm-hmm. own, so they need my support. But it's really important to know what your truest and I use that word a lot, desire. What is it you desire yeah. for this adventure? Because there are some who also think, oh, this sounds nice. I don't know if I want to do that, but everyone else is doing it. And then huh. the actual truth of what they want. So when I do have these calls, <laughs> they're kind therapy, of baby. therapy and coaching calls. Yeah, yeah. Because I want to make sure we're choosing the right destination. There's a lot of travel professionals who will just say, yes to whatever it is that you want because you're coming to that person so you want them to design the thing that you want and they feel that but for me it's my name is also attached to this Mm -hmm. I need you to have this incredible experience so that's the biggest one is your desire and you your want and then the conversation kind of goes from there because if you're also coming to me then I know you're interested in food, wine, drink. Maybe you want to have some people just want to eat their way mm-hmm. through the destination or they want to immerse themselves in cooking classes mm-hmm. and or they even want to go farming. So it really starts that way. And then I ask all those questions. Yeah. A call could be up to like 45 minutes. Great. Making sure that I truly understand what they want. That's really cool. Need. And then you just go to work and you start actually crafting and you budget it out and then you send mm-hmm. them a proposal. And you exactly. go from there. I like that. That's cool. So they'll reach out. I'll link to your, your website in the show notes, shoot you an email, book some time, talk to you about, about your their hopes and dreams. Yes. Where they like to travel. Ronnie, we asked all guests on the Taste Podcast, if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline, or the burden of budget, meaning you have unlimited money to make this book happen, what would that book be? It would be a cookbook based off of my parents. Mm. So I grew up with a Punjabi father and a Puerto Rican mother, but my dad cooked Greek food. So I grew up thinking Indian Greek food was Indian. So then he would add his own spin and twist to things just like the rest of us do, the rest of like America and immigrants. And then my mom, she of course made Puerto Rican food And then Italian food, but would always add a Puerto Rican spin. So there was always adobo. There was always Puerto Rican sofrito, which is different than Italian sofrito. So it would be a collection of those recipes and just stories of my parents because they have some wild travel stories. Yeah, some New York City stories, some some stories. I love that. I have to wait till they pass away for me to share those stories. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I got to look forward to it. Ronnie Chima, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thank you for having me. (laughs) 
The Taste Podcast is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.